stop hanging around those people. Stop, stop training with people who are only going to kind of put their limited mindset on you. Because I've always been a firm believer if someone else can do something, why couldn't you? This is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never My been best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that Gosh, man, that was, was a moment that changed my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. journey to a better you starts right now all right i've officially decided i'm not giving the same intro every week if you're here you know the name of the podcast you know who i am my guest this week is annie nab annie is a crossfit athlete as well as a nutrition coach i saw her on instagram giving a seminar at cody loffler's athlete camp for specifically nutrition in crossfit and performance that's something that i'm interested in not necessarily as a CrossFit athlete, but I'm always interested in hearing what people have to say about nutrition. I think it's a topic that you can hear from a hundred different coaches and you're going to hear a hundred different philosophies. On the show though, we didn't dive too much into nutrition. Um, We'll definitely get Annie back on the show for part two, part three. There's so many things that we can talk about in the future, but on this one, we just got into life in general belief systems, politics, all that stuff that people are usually afraid to dive into. We got into all of it. So I hope you come into this one with an open mind. If you agree or disagree with Annie or I, totally fine. I think you can take a lot away from this conversation. I know I did. And uh, yeah, that's that's really where I see the podcast going in the future is just bringing people on, talking about life, talking about how we agree, how we disagree, all that stuff in between. I, I love these messy topics and I hope you do too. Yeah, my first, like, my, the first 50 episodes, I had this Yeti microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have one. The Yeti Blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that one. Yeah, so I had that, but I would I would literally sit, like, four feet away from it, uh-huh. and it, all my podcasts sounded terrible. Really? Yeah. And somebody, That's surprising. I mean, it didn't sound terrible, but it's, like, it wasn't, obviously, as good as I could. And then I had somebody, I had a weightlifting coach on who was... Um, he was in radio, so he was giving me all these tips. Oh, that's awesome. You're yeah. bound to come across someone who knows what they're doing with this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because mics can be confusing. I did a few podcasts with my old bosses because they're super into media, obviously, and it was so confusing to me. Like the soundboard stuff, you can really nerd out on all of it. Yeah, there's – um. At the CrossFit gym I go to, they actually have somebody started a podcast mm-hmm. in like the back room and then they left all their equipment and they have this giant soundboard and I'm like, should I ask them if I can have yes. it? But it's, it's so big. It's so like this thing <laughs> it is would just, take up the whole table. yeah, this thing yeah. is just like literally one, two and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Yeti mics are nice. Like I did guitar and stuff. So I was like my background musical stuff. So that was cool for that. But it is kind of a hassle to even like plug in your computer. My computer would be like, when I, when I got old enough, it'd be like, um, this mic is not supported anymore. This computer is too old. It's like, great. It's going to blow up. Yeah. Cool. That's how my computer, if you can just pull this thing a little bit closer. Yeah. yeah there is that better? Go. All right. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. Um, this computer, I feel like they, so I told you the battery and they're like, the battery's too old to replace. <laughs> so I'm just basically going to have to get a new computer. You're which, right. Love that. Love yeah, that. Yeah, the struggles. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you went – where did you go to school? Um, I went – so I went to St. Joe's University okay, in Philly right. for that's a semester right. to run cross-country there. Walked on their team. Just kind of wanted to be like a D1 athlete, do the thing. Um, 
then quickly realized, all right, kind of accomplished that. Like now I'm bored and running isn't really for me. So I transferred to High Point University. Yeah. Uh, second semester freshman year. So, okay. Yeah. And then finish out at High Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. And then so digital media, like how'd you, uh, you said you were doing that since junior high. What, what got you into that? Yeah. So we had this class called TV studio in high school, which like me and my neighbors would always just make these random movies as kids, like best situation growing up, three kids across the street, your age, me and my brother, we would make plays cause we were all in musicals. And then we would just record them and make these ridiculous, like horror Christmas movies called like jingle kill the way, like so silly but it was so fun so I always wanted to do like more video stuff and learn how to edit um and tv studio like that class just kind of gave me the opportunity to do that and I was like sweet maybe I'll work for like Hollywood or whatever like a sports company and edit their videos so that was kind of the goal like at a younger age I would say it was just fun to edit videos and create like ridiculous stories and make people laugh Mm. what do you learn like as far as what's different about like TV versus, so I'm just used to like editing on Final Cut Pro for like YouTube videos, but what's, what's kind of different when you're doing it for like a profession? Yeah. So that's a good question. Cause I interned at this one company, um, in Lancaster and it was like high scale commercials, like million dollar films, all this stuff for like 30 second, like hardwood floor commercials. Right so boring (laughs) so so technical like every shot it takes you know a week to get a 20 second clip done right um so I feel like the main thing is like with commercial and tv stuff it's just so pristine and way less creative from the filmer side because you kind of think oh the film person is the one creating the storylines and there they have so much you know, involvement in the directing and the fun parts when it's like, no, you stay in your lane. It's like Harry Potter houses. Are you the like filmmaker? Are you the editor? Are you the script writer, the director? And that's probably something I learned early on. Like, wait, I don't actually want to be the person filming at all. (laughs) That's like my least favorite part. So I'd say that's the main difference, like creative stuff, kind of in like just the general sense of video editing, you can have control over. Whereas you know, in the TV world, you're very in your lane. You are kind of your path that you pick. Mm, that's interesting. I kind of like, I mean, I hate, there's a couple things that I hate doing with the podcast, but I also like that I've been able to do everything myself. So at least I, I know how to do stuff. And then like you start to learn how to edit videos and, you know, just things that you wouldn't learn how to do if you had a team around you. So like, I think everybody should probably start off like, do everything at first and then like you can gradually kind of get rid of stuff that you really don't like to do Mm -hmm. yeah you totally learn what you like to do and like what your skills and strengths are versus just like trying filming I mean like oh this this stinks I don't like this at all um I learned that with script writing too (laughs) too technical too detail oriented for me like let's go to the visionary stuff that's way more fun so script writing, is that like for a commercial where you, everything was based on commercials with mm-hmm. what you were doing? Yeah. So that stuff was like, you know, everything's mapped out to a T, every single clip and like the location and the angles and all that stuff. So you just have to like all the things you don't think goes into a commercial for hardwood floors or a sink or whatever. Um, just a million details, like how many different angles you need and the lighting and fixing that stuff. And in college, I had a script writing class. And it was probably one of the hardest classes I had to take 
because our professor was like us he wrote some scripts for Hollywood films so he was in the industry really knowledgeable guy but so detail oriented and just like if you use the wrong font for your scripts like it actually means something else for the actors and actresses and you're like I had no idea I don't care oh that's cool that's it yeah that's yeah, interesting it like is. How, how many behind the scenes people there are mm-hmm, right especially people actually pay a million dollars to do like a floor commercial yeah like for big companies if they're airing it all over like that hardwood floor that's we had did one really big one on like a sliding glass window um or door or whatever and it would you know it was automatic so the green screens and the lights alone for the day to rent i mean these were huge lights that just created like the best quality look and stuff for the set and they were tens of thousands of dollars for hours of use and you're like what and even when we had a dog on set to just like show that you could clean the floor really well that dog for the day costs a ridiculous amount of money and they have to be they dogs can actually only be on set like less amount of time than babies and people can be like their rules are so strict you would never think that it's like dog abuse to let them on set for over an hour. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, now I'm thinking we got to get him do some commercials. Yeah, Curtis. <laughs> Curtis got to get in the game. Yeah, I, I didn't know that was like a lucrative business to get into. Yeah, little did I know either. It's like, dang, these people are making bank. <laughs> so what made you want to leave that industry? Yeah, probably just like I still enjoy it, but it was just to be the person behind the scenes wasn't really something I wanted to do like I like to create films and just have freedom and you know the entertainment side of it and just have like goofy ideas and make them happen quickly versus mapping out every tedious angle and script and this and that which has a time and a place for sure Um, but like Instagram reels kind of brings that availability to you in a business sense like if you kind of then know how to use video editing editing stuff and like just create a compelling storyline and rope people in in the first like five ten seconds like oh I could help businesses with this or my own business more so and have more fun with it and freedom than just kind of being stuck behind a desk you know in a dark room editing all day every day uh, which generally I like sometimes but I'm too extroverted to just do that for forever I would go crazy and you're pretty disciplined with Instagram. You told, at, at least for, as far as what you told me, I I feel like I'm the same way where I kind of put out this front that I'm like disciplined with the screen time and everything. And then there's times where I'm just scrolling and for all sure. these down, all these uh, rabbit holes I go down. Mm-hmm. But yeah. what's um like, so you're, you're making reels and you're doing stuff that's creative, but like how much time are you spending on Instagram and what kind of parameters do you set for yourself? Yeah. Like, so that's a great question because if you don't set parameters, like if I, something I do is I delete the app after I post, whether that's on my story or my feed and don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm not like 100%. Okay. Just post it. Let's delete it. Still waste time. Just like everybody else scrolling, looking at stories, but I try to catch myself pretty early on. Um, because I realize like that's a client I could be getting That's someone I could be, you know, talking with on like creating conversions for sales or something like that, or, you know, doing mobility for CrossFit. Right. Cause that's a goal of mine too. And, um, so on Instagram, sometimes the reels can take me like an hour, depending how long, I guess they have to be like invested in. So one gym I work with and I kind of do a nutrition series for them, which is super fun because I love those guys. But I try to 
bring it more on the educational front so it can be like can like explain macros and explain nutrition stuff while still being entertaining so I do kind of go back to that original like script writing class format right and I kind of map it out a little bit um, so I know just to keep myself organized and like, okay, I need to film this and then this has to go here. Um, and then we need to edit it together, add the text, which takes a stupid amount of time on Instagram and then write the caption. That's also compelling and gives people more information. And then we post it and then we delete the app. <laughs> so sometimes it's still a ridiculous amount of time on Instagram, but I try to be, I try not to overthink it and I try to just use it, um, with like content that I would want to see that would help me like a year ago and um, just kind of keep the main thing the main thing not like go crazy with all the trends and all that stuff there's just so much out there that's like my problem with it it's just there's infinite like how many people have to post reels all day long to where you're never gonna go on the app and it's there's never the end of the timeline. Mm -hmm. Did there used to be that on Facebook where you would like scroll down to the end? I feel like oh there gosh, used yeah. to be where it just stopped and it's like you've re you've seen everything. Yeah, I don't remember when that time was. Maybe like when I like 2009. I yeah, don't know. Whenever it started. When I was like in, were the days. in high school. When you yeah. were done playing Farmville, you were tapped out. Like that was it on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Instagram's tough because people will say like, oh, to build your brand, you have to do every single trend. You have to post three reels a day, all this stuff. I don't really agree with that either. I think people just like if you're doing the, you know, the ones where everyone just lip syncs the same thing every time and then posts like a different block of text or whatever. Like those are so boring. And I was doing those for a while and I was like, this isn't really growing my account and it's stupid and ingenuine. <laughs> so I'm just going to ditch this idea. <laughs> it's not really worth it in the end, but to each their own. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, because if you do want to grow a brand, you have to play the social media game a little bit. 100%. I found like I, I want to grow the podcast, but at the same time, I hate social media. Mm -hmm. Like I would, I don't think I would have it at all if I didn't have the podcast and like want to get this out to people. But I like to sit down and do this and talk with somebody for an hour, an hour and a half, like really get to know somebody. And I feel like when you post the 15, 30 second reel, it's just, I mean, to get even that part of the conversation takes a long time, like to build the comfort with somebody where they can share something vulnerable on a podcast, it, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. So like, I almost feel like, like you said, it's disingenuous to, to put out these reels of the podcast where it's 15, 20 seconds when, Hey, we had a, like a 20 minute discussion leading into this. And it's not like, I mean, it's just all you're seeing everybody's uh, highlight reel. Obviously, nobody's posting the bad stuff, and it's just it's hard for me. I'm a, I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, walking through the Doctor uh, Jekyll and Mister Hyde kind of thing. Like, I need to do this, but I also hate it, and mm -hmm. I don't want to. Yeah, that's a really good point. One of my good friends um, from college and I actually had this conversation like earlier last week because I was that per person for the longest time. Like, I disabled my Instagram for like three months at a time. I and people are like, "Did you block me?" I'm like, "No, I literally just." don't go on Instagram. Sorry. You can't see my stuff. Um, and I hated it. And it's like that Jekyll and Hyde mindset, like, okay, this is, is this a necessary evil or not? And I think, and one of my friends was saying, like, I used to do the same thing until one of his mentors or whatever, were like, you can either kind of be the person on Instagram and like make your account something that does give value to people and like 
makes it a positive influence on their feed it might actually impact them in a like a way that you just think oh what is an instagram really really gonna do for this person but it actually might be like something they need to hear in the moment or whatever versus just you know throwing it all away so that's kind of an approach i try to take in my content now more so than i was the past few months of just doing what everybody else is doing and doing what everyone says you need to post to get clients and to grow your account and this and that like now let's just focus on that 1% of people, like focus on advice you would give yourself and try to just be as genuine as possible. Because otherwise, I think it does turn into that echo chamber of, all right, everyone's just like taking off their clothes on Instagram and it's we don't need to see that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I always click on them though. <laughs> like and then my algorithm gets all fucked yeah, up and right? then I'm mad that my algorithm is like the and then I end uh it's like the same thing every day. Mm -hmm. I'm always writing in my journal like, all right, I need to like be disciplined today and then I end up same rabbit hole and I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh, I gotta I gotta like click on dog videos and lifting just so like my algorithm changes a little bit. So. Isn't like naked people on your feet all day? <laughs> yeah. It's well one of the conversations that I was having a couple weeks ago is like all those things work. For sure. That's the problem. Yeah. Is, like okay you you post it but I th I think it also like one thing I was thinking about when you do something that works it's hard to get out of that so like if you are the only fans girl and then you want people to take you seriously when you have a business and you're like hey I want to take nutrition clients on mm -hmm. it's really hard to get out of being the only fans girl yeah disclaimer that's not me I'm not the only fans <laughs> girl for anyone listening <laughs> but yeah no you're so right because it does like the reason that it is there is because it does work and it's really comes back to marketing at the end of the day um, and a lot of people don't I would say don't have a lot of experience with marketing so they're just copying what they see will be somewhat effective rather than trying anything new. Um, and that's like, yeah, it's just a constant battle and being genuine and kind of, you know, getting out of just getting likes and stuff. And you might need to do like some things that aren't totally genuine all the time. Like you might feel like they're not genuine when you post, but I think you just have to kind of come back to full circle eventually and be like all right let's get back on track let's try to the next one let's just try to be a little different or something yeah have you studied marketing yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, my background in like career wise has always been video editing and marketing such so I've been able to like in college you learn a lot and such too but I really think both of my previous bosses were just serial entrepreneurs so just getting to learn from them and just like understanding that they were both after grabbing people and customers attentions and they were effective in that in their businesses so luckily I've been able to learn from that um, but even if you don't go to college for that you can read Donald Miller books who's like my favorite marketing guy ever I listen to his podcast every week and it just gives me so many takeaways and his books and stuff like that that I'm like okay that's how I can maybe improve my website and conversion and open rate on my emails and stuff like that, like a percent better. So I'm kind of obsessed with it, which is fun, but you're also kind of always chasing something, which, you know, you know how it goes. Do you feel like working with other entrepreneurs made you want to make that switch and kind of take the leap for yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, I saw how hard it was, but I also saw like the challenge. I love a challenge. And I think a lot of, you know, obviously I do CrossFit. So I like to do hard things and, you know, the cortisol is always high. So you're always kind of like chasing after that thing, um, getting in that fight and flight. And business to me is that way. Like it is always a chase. It's always a challenge. And I love that. Um, and as much as I actually liked my previous job, 
and such too in video editing. I really did enjoy it. I just, I think I've always known that I wanted to do something where I can impact people in my own way, um, where I can kind of have my own twist on things. And, you know, if I want to change things, I can. I'm not stuck in one niche or one whatever. I can just kind of, I can evolve as I go and my customers will as well. So yeah. That's interesting. So how do you even get into CrossFit in the first place? Yeah. So, um, hmm, how did I, I, so after running, I started, um, powerlifting and Olympic lifting at this gym called garage strength near me just because my brother was a swimmer and I just went with him. And I would say like, I never really had that distance runner physique like I was I'm short I'm not I build muscle very quickly I'm not super like lanky or anything so when I started lifting it was really fun because at the time I it's not like I was around any other girls who lifted so it was kind of unique it was fun meeting new people it was like a very new challenge for me and thing I could do with my brother at home too um so I was like this is cool like this is a cool avenue not a lot of girls do it let's try powerlifting in college because there was a club there. So I did that. And although it was fun to meet new people, I quickly got bored with it. And I was like, I miss, I don't want to do long distance running again or like run marathons, but I do want some cardio. I want to sweat it out. I want to not like eat gummy worms between sets for like 10 hours, you know? So someone at the gym, actually, some guy was like, have you tried CrossFit before? Cause he just saw me lifting there. I was like, no. So I went with him to a CrossFit gym and they were like, hey, you're not too bad at this. Like, I was like, well, I was a runner. So like I have some cardio in me and then I'm not like a, you know, a super weak girl, I guess. So it kind of played to my strengths there. Um, and I just loved it. So it has like that balance for me of getting that cardio and like sweat session, um, but still kind of getting stronger as I go. So that's how I started. Okay. So I feel like you don't hear that much powerlifting first yeah. and then doing CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not like I was super good at it or anything either. I would freak out when I was hitting high numbers. I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm strong enough. But that's the cool thing about CrossFit because it's like, no, you can't really stay complacent because everyone's always like pushing themselves around you um, in so many different ways. So it just like grows you so much in that aspect. Yeah, for sure. How long have you been doing it? Um, so actually like just doing classes and stuff, probably like oh, three years there, kind of just going in and out of sometimes running, sometimes CrossFit workouts, hit style stuff, dropping in classes, whatever. Um, and then I got a coach about six months ago. So that's when I started like actually training um, with Cody Loeffler, who Loeffler, however you say his last name, I should know that by now. But yeah, so that's when I really kind of dedicated a lot of time to it about six months ago. Okay. Interesting. And that's how we met. It was funny because I was going to the gym and <laughs> DM'd you on Instagram because I saw that you gave a nutrition seminar and then you just happened to be at the gym that day, yeah. which was, which was really funny. That was really, cause I didn't even see your message cause I deleted the app and I think I told you that. And I was like, this guy probably thinks I'm lying. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, once you like, what, what was the difference when you started to really take it seriously versus just doing the classes? Like wh what did you have to change about, about yourself. Yeah, just definitely not being complacent with being strong enough or like, oh, okay, I did pretty good for the class wad, even though there's literally, you know, only a few girls here who can do muscle ups or whatever. So that was the main thing. It, you quickly realize that you're 
you know, maybe a big or medium-sized fish in a small pond versus uh, there's a lot of people on the leaderboard who are going to be ahead of you and a lot of people stronger and faster than you. So it's like, shoot, if I actually want to take this seriously, like I have to kind of realize that I have a lot of growth yet to do and I can't just become complacent in one aspect and think I'm good enough here. Like you're never really good enough there. You always can grow and um, technique stuff, for instance, was the huge thing for me that Cody has been a world of difference. My back squats improved like 45 pounds and starting with him and I, I mean, I'm only 24, but I thought I like capped out already, right? So it's just all the little things, all the little things that you just don't think about. Yeah. You have to start taking it more seriously and, you know, nutrition, recovery, all that stuff plays a much bigger factor than I think people realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's Cody always says it this way. Like when you're training, when you're thinking about mobility, when you're thinking about nutrition, it's just leaving money on the table. So if you want to be a competitive athlete or you have specific goals or whatever, this is applicable in your career and your relationships, whatever. Are you leaving money on the table to be like that hundred or like that 1%? Um, and nutrition for me was like a huge one because until like, I was always very into health stuff, but I never really knew how much protein I was eating. Like I was anemic when I was a runner, I was always run down. I was always tired even when I was just doing CrossFit classes and I was like, maybe I need to stop working out. And it turns out I just needed to eat more protein. First of all, like first priority and just, you know, get it in check to the where I'm not eating like three cinnamon rolls every night. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> so little stuff like that. Just if you can increase your nutrition quality, if you can increase your mobility and technique and all that stuff, your warm up even, um, you're kind of just not leaving money on the table that could make you a better athlete or whatever it is for your, your life. What's anemic mean? Yeah, so it's like you're lacking iron. So a lot of women tend to be anemic in some capacity, especially runners tend to be. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of people just give you iron pills and that's kind of the, okay, you're anemic here, take some iron. But if you can't absorb it, it like tells you that there's something in your body that you need to fix, first of all, so that you can absorb iron. So there's just so many caveats to nutrition where it's it's like, no, you can't just take a supplement necessarily. You might have to get to the root cause of it and see why your body is reacting this way or what is it, what are you lacking nutrition wise that might improve that before you jump into like a supplement or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And then, so what originally got you into health? Like you said, you said you were, you know, an athlete growing up, but what kind of made you I mean I guess you started doing CrossFit like did you start wanting to change up the rest of your life when you started doing these fitness things and like not not feeling good yeah so honestly like I wasn't really very very athletic until very late in high school um, I did swimming a little bit I was terrible I really just like track and cross country by like junior year so I wasn't really into health and fitness until then um but I like had a lot of skin issues and just like little things throughout my life and just like little injuries. I've never had huge injuries, like thankfully, but just little things that diet would have prevented had I known about it. Um, but I kind of realized that, wait a minute, like all these guys around me, all my, like my brother, for instance, who I always looked up to in sports because he was always the athlete in the house. They are doing all these extra things. Like they know how to eat for their performance. They know how to do all these things like why don't I know how to do that? Why wasn't I ever educated on that? And I kind of have been thinking about that a lot this week. Like females, for instance, tend to really lack a lot of knowledge on nutrition and how to eat as an athlete and as a woman, because it's definitely different. Um, and that to me, I was like, 
I probably could have avoided a lot of injuries like in running and things and just felt better and been more confident and just avoided a lot of random health issues if I would have had any knowledge whatsoever of what to put in my body and like how it actually affects me versus just buying like green tea supplements that everyone's getting like women just fall prey to all that stuff and it drives me crazy so I just kind of saw that and I was like I don't want to just hop on all the supplement game games um and why does everyone else know something that I don't know about So I just got interested in it and kind of was like, all right, maybe I'll just sign up for a coach. So I did. Just got basic macro information um, that I was already interested in, read a lot of books about it, got my own nutrition certification, and then um, was like, all right, I can help people with this too because this is what I wish I would have done a year ago and I would have been a way better athlete and just healthier and felt better in general. That's – why do you think people don't know that they – are kind of responsible for themselves. Like a a lot of people, even females might say like, Oh, I don't know how to eat for my performance. Like I always feel like shit, but that, you know, I don't, nobody ever taught me that. Like, why do you think, or how do we get more people to be doing their own research and like finding out that they're responsible for their own? Like, if you feel like shit, then you have to do the research and you have to figure out what's going on Mm -hmm. instead of like always waiting for somebody else to tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's just like, it kind of goes back to like, not even to get political, but everyone just reads the headlines and they just read whatever. Like if you tell someone something, they're immediately thinking about it or whatever. Then they start to see it because they're thinking about, they're more aware of it. Um, And it's just like, you can kind of have this thing in your mind like one person says oh green tea or one person says oh macros or whatever and then you start thinking about it but until then like you don't you don't know what you don't know I guess Mm -hmm. it really comes down to um because everybody around you especially in America like pasta you know all this processed food is the normal stuff so it's almost like like now that I'm so far removed from eating so poorly I guess I'm like how did I eat like that as a kid but then I think wait a minute, it wasn't really that long ago that I was eating a lot of processed food too and didn't know any better and didn't know how that impacted my body because really, like you're surrounded by marketing. If you go to the supermarket, if you go on Instagram, Facebook, all your ad, just look at your ad preferences. It might be, you know, might be supplements. It might be, you know, granola bars with like high fructose corn syrup. You don't know. So I think it's almost harder to have any opinion out, like opinion about nutrition because, it's just not the norm to know about it. I think that was a confusing way to put it, but it's almost, it's so hard to know what's right and what could be an option for you to feel better because you're so used to feeling bad and you're so used to eating the way that you are because it's so normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. I mean, I'm the type of person like, so it's funny cause I, I was thinking about this, um, this morning, like when I first decided to, become like into self-development and like understanding that I'm like I can help myself I started reading like my senior year of college is when I really started to pick up books and like do outside reading it's funny like four years of college I bear I just read what I needed to read and then you know I started to pick up all these books and it's like you, you the knowledge just kind of seeps in and like you do things differently and then you kind of find the right people eventually but if you never if you never think like you need to start doing that, you're probably never going to start doing that. And you're just going to keep, you know, repeating the cycle and just being 
you know, you Google something and you get the one answer and then you do that. Even if it doesn't work, you just keep doing that because you're like, well, you know, that's, that's the answer. That's what I need to do. I need to, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Like how, how many times have you heard that? Oh my gosh, and it's right? like people don't question that anymore. Right. And like the guy who, or I think it was Kellogg's who founded that term or like started that phrase, he just to sell more cereal. Like people are like, no, it's really the most important meal of the day. I'm like, no, it's not. You can not eat breakfast and be perfectly fine. <laughs> you're okay. Um, depending if it's optimal for your lifestyle, if you're like an athlete, like then you can go into further detail about if it's best for you. But yeah, like that is marketing, all of that stuff. The Kellogg's guy created that saying. And I think it's hilarious because I just learned that a few years ago too. It's like, wow, that's, that's a game changer. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I learned, learned something new today. <laughs> so you get into what I, what certification did you do for nutrition? Yeah, I did the ISSA nutrition certification. Um, and my background is a little bit in regenerative agriculture. So I worked for like sustainable butcher shop, got to go on some farm tours with like regenerative agriculture researchers. If that people don't know what that is, it's basically like farming with nature versus against it. So it just revitalizes the soil, um, versus just kind of tilling and just like diminishing the quality of it. So it just, it's better for everybody involved. Okay. But yeah, so I was always into sourcing and animals and like farming and stuff. Um, never really bought into like the plant-based stuff, still don't. And um, so I was just always super interested in that. Made a few documentaries on that in college. And then obviously with CrossFit, like health and nutrition just kind of developed with it because it was so important. So then I started getting into more, okay, how to eat as an athlete and how to eat to feel better um, and to perform better and things like that. So it kind of naturally developed, but my mom was also super interested in it. She's a nurse. So we kind of always took the holistic approach, like as I started college. So it was kind of a nice, just organic development there. Okay. What did you learn on the farms? Like, what was it like kind of seeing the process and, you know, all all the grass fed meat and like kind of what, what it takes to actually, you know, get a steak on your plate? Yeah, that's a great question because, um, first of all, it's the fun fact, like those farms that farm really well, regeneratively, they don't smell like at all. And it's the craziest thing. Cause you think they would obviously smell terrible, but people like the cows, I've never seen happier animals in my life because they frolic like everywhere because they take, they eat all the cover crops and such, but then it revitalizes the soil so well that every like it's easier for the farmers involved it's easier on the animals they're happier all that good stuff um but in contrast one of my first filming jobs that i had out of college when i started with video editing was actually at a conventional dairy farm so i literally got to see night and day the difference and it's like you it kind of scars you a little bit because you see all these cows like crammed in this food lot they're just eating corn and soy like so gross and then the conditions are bad they're on a ton of antibiotics they're obviously irritable the farmers like it's a hard industry to make money in anyways so they're not doing super well and you're like dang what if people just did this like the right way and then you wouldn't have to worry about like environmental stuff and you know quality of meat um but obviously there's profit and you know a lot of business involved with that so it's not just an easy flip of the switch however just so much more goes into it in the sense of, yeah, it might be a little more expensive to do, um, but the farmers love it too. You can tell they're passionate about the regenerative stuff and 
it's just like a happy experience, I guess, at the end of the day is the best way to put it. It's really cool to see what goes into that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's something that people don't think about. Um, I forget where I heard it, but like when you're eating even just eggs, like you're eating DNA of an animal. Mm-hmm. So you're eating trauma that they go through. You're eating their emotions. And I mean, yeah, that sounds like hippie and like woo-woo, but it really is true. Like if you're eating happier animals that that were raised responsibly, you're probably going to notice a difference in your body. And it might be, mm-hmm. it might be really small. Like I, I think maybe that's what kind of turns people away is like you look at the prices at Giant and you're like, well, it's so much more money to get organic and grass-fed and all that stuff versus like how much – different are you actually going to feel when you eat that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and that's a great point because I, there was one farm I was at and um they were like well that we have one cow and he was like two, he's the bull or whatever and he was too um, wild so like you do take the genetics into effect there too because if they are very like anxious animals you're gonna taste it because it's gonna make it more of like you know, a meteor taste and whatever. Um, I don't know what the word is, but it's going to make it harder and like less enjoyable for you because when animals are super stressed out, um, that obviously converts to chemicals in their bodies too. So in these food lots and such, they get sick a lot. They're stressed out a lot. There's just a lot that goes on that, like you said, it does affect your body like one or two times. No, it's not going to kill you. But if you eat like super stressed animals and low quality conditions, like what they eat, you eat. So if they're eating crap, you're also eating that. Um, Cows are different in that they have like four stomachs, so they get to detoxify things a little bit more thoroughly than other animals. Um, So that's why cow meat is so, you know, kind of nutrient dense for you in that sense. But yeah, they're still stressed out. They're still eating things that you're eventually going to consume. What do you, like, what else did you take away kind of from the farm? Like, how difficult is it for them to actually turn a profit? That's something, like, I mean, you're doing something with all, isn't it four companies own, like, the 80% of the supply chain, like, with Mm -hmm. the meat and stuff in the grocery store? Yeah, so you can kind of pull it back to, like, the seed processing, right? So Monsanto, which is, like, this huge conglomerate monopoly of basically food, um, I believe they got bought out or changed names to Bayer. So, like, they own Advil. They own, like, pretty much such a huge amount of food supply, but also farming. And they patent all the seeds and such and fertilizer. So if you don't get their, like, if you get their seed, you have to use their fertilizer. Then you have to use their processing. So you are stuck in that. And like, if they're, what's really interesting is if you have an organic farm and right across the street from you is a conventional farm and a seed from corn or whatever flies over to your farm and it's tested, um, you can get sued as the organic farm that you're using the patent seed or whatever of Monsanto. So they literally, they try to eliminate competition and they've done it very effectively. Um, And they, A, those farmers have a hard time making profit because they're stuck. They can only do as much as they can with Monsanto, right? Uh, Or Bay or whatever you want to call it. Uh, But the organic farmers, I mean, the process, the kind of problem is they don't have access to the processing plants as much, like how to process the animal meat and stuff like that, because those are also typically owned by big corporations. So like the amount of money it takes to kind of be a full functioning, you know, grass-fed regenerative agriculture farm or whatever, takes a lot. So you need a lot of resources. So that's why there's very, they're very few and far between. Um, 
the farm I was got to kind of travel with was like one of the largest regenerative farms in the country, Joyce Farms, amazing people, amazing products and such. But um, I mean, it's not easy. They have to kind of help other farms out because small farms, it's very hard to start up that way because there's not, you don't get support from the big conglomerate conglomerations, but you're also kind of on your own in terms of processing and um, getting clients and all that stuff. So farming, the farming industry definitely has changed a lot, unfortunately, like some for the better, some for the worse. But I like to think it's starting to go in the opposite direction because consumers do send, tend to be, their habits are changing in favor of kind of more better source things. So that's kind of a positive, um, even though most are owned by, again, those big corporations. I don't know if you'll know this off the top of your head, but like if you go to Giant and you get grass-fed meat, like is that actually grass-fed meat or like kind of what's the difference versus going to an actual farm or going to a farmer's market and getting it directly from the farmer? Yeah, so that's a great question. I don't know it like 100%, but there are a lot of things with the labeling that's just total BS. So like grass-fed, I think the FDA regulation on that is only that it has to be like they have to have um, I want to, this could be wrong, so don't hold me to this, but I'm pretty sure grass fed regulation, the label only means that they have to have access or like so much of their diet come from grass. So they still might be consuming like some corn and some soy. Um, and they still like, it's free range for chickens is a good example because free range, I believe only means that they have to have access to the outdoors or cage free or whatever. So there's so many caveats to that. So that's why if you can find a local butcher shop near you, hey, it's yeah, it's going to be more expensive, but you can actually ask questions. You can ask about their farmers. Um, I have a great one near me in Reading, Dundor and Heister, but farmers markets too, like getting to know your farmer is just not something we're used to doing anymore. But it's really cool when you get to do that. You do find a local spot because it is going to be way better for you. It's not going to be frozen because it's not going to be shipped across the world. And um, you can actually ask questions. So that's definitely your best bet in terms of quality. Yeah, that's something I've been putting off for so long. But I've heard so many people say, like, the importance of knowing your farmer by their first name. And, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, the supply chain, like, I don't know. You're very into the politics way more than I am. (laughs) But, like, it sounds like the the, – the supply chain breakdown it probably is already happening, but like it, it is coming. And if you don't know your farmer by their first name, if you if you're just like, hey, I need meat, they're gonna be like, hey, we have a bunch of other customers already that we have to take care of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's something that I've just been lazy on that I haven't gone to the growers market, but it's something I'm gonna kind of hold myself to and get there yeah that's definitely important and like even obviously I'm super interested in politics but like even you know the conservative side of stuff they don't do a great job at doing that either like they promote cheaper things and things like that too so that's definitely you know the environmental side I think both sides are very flawed in their arguments with and it's like it just doesn't really benefit a lot of people um, when you get into the politics of that, because they're just so out of touch which, with how things work in terms of farming, um, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of out of touch with everything. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it, it's funny, just like the, the more stuff you read about the politics and it's kind of these big issues, like this thing, these three topics, and they're like spending all the debate time on these three things. And it's like, hey, people, like they're worried about 
you know, your paycheck goes way less far than it used to go. Like gas prices are really high. Food prices are really high. Like that's what people actually care about. Not like these issues that may or may not affect you depending on like how laws are changed. And we don't know, like we don't know what the laws actually are. And Mm -hmm. like a lot of times when people, you know, you see these big rulings that come down, people don't actually know the ramifications of what's actually coming down. A hundred percent. And like, it really comes back to marketing at the end of the day. Cause I've always said conservatives need to do better at marketing themselves. Cause they just like, yes, they might have the facts on their side sometimes and whatever, whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter, but they can't market them. <laughs> They're just so bad at it. And it's frustrating because people like, like you said, people don't actually understand the laws and people will not do their own research. So I used to get really frustrated. Like, why are people getting mad about this? Or why are people saying this? That doesn't even make sense. They don't know what they're talking about. And I'm like, well, you know, that's where most people are at in politics. And that's where most people are going to be at for the rest of their life. They're not going to dig into it. So, you know, the leaders in charge or the people, whatever issue you're talking about, have to relay the information and get it across effectively and simply. Um, And it's really just marketing at the end of the day. And yeah, that's like just a huge frustration in my opinion with all that stuff. When did you get involved with politics and when did this kind of come on your radar? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love talking about it. Um, I would say, so in college, like I was always interested. And when I, when I was a kid, like I would come home from track practice and watch like Bill O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly. Like I was a nerd. I love to read about history. I've always loved history. So I think that's where it really stemmed because it, at the end of the day, I love marketing. Marketing is a story. History is a story. So that's really how I got interested in it. Um, But I would say in college, I kind of saw, I was exposed to way more just politics in general because people tend to be more active um, in those settings. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but I have really strong beliefs and I don't want to be that person who has strong beliefs and can't articulate anything. Um, Granted, it's hard to articulate everything perfectly in politics because there's a lot of, you know, information to know, but I was like, I just want to be more informed. So I started kind of just looking into Turning Point USA events and such and like, okay, how can I get involved? So I joined um, a local conservative kind of organization. Now I'm on the board of it in Philly. And then um, I went to a few Turning Point USA events where I was actually able to kind of be on stage for an event because, well, nonprofit I got involved with who kind of just basically rates companies on if they donate to liberal or conservative or neutral organizations. So you can just basically by your based on your values so it's for anyone any beliefs you're just kind of able to see what companies align with you um so I got to kind of be on stage for that and then I was just hooked so I just I love learning about it I love reading like textbooks and taking free classes online from Hillsdale it's just fun to me to know that economic side of things to know what happened in history so that maybe we don't repeat it um even though we tend to um rather than just talking about big ideas that I actually have no clue about. So that was just kind of like why I started. I didn't want to be one of those people on the internet who just knew nothing. They just annoyed me too much. (laughs) It seems like everything you do, you just kind of dive headfirst into. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) me and Cody's wife, Emily, she's awesome. We were talking about this last week. We were like, we're not really lukewarm people. (laughs) We're in or we're out. Like, 100% or no percent just does not tend to do well um, with me like being halfway just doesn't really work it's not fun either yeah I mean it can be like a healthy mindset if you're able to 
kind of dial it back in. And like, it's funny, just even if you read like about elite athletes, like Michael Jordan or Kobe, or I just read, um, I read this jujitsu guy's memoir. And like he said, when he was going into a fight, he wasn't going to tap. Like he would die before Mm -hmm. he tapped out. (laughs) And like, I mean, that's a, that's a good mindset if you're going to be a fighter, but that's mm-hmm. not a good mindset if you just want to be like a healthy person. If mm-hmm. you're just going to the gym a couple times a week or you're just trying to learn about something new, like that all or nothing, mm-hmm. the, I'll die before, you know, before I give up. Like that's mm-hmm. not, that's not something that everyday people can relate to. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. I think it's great. Like if you're starting a business, I think you have to be super obsessed and very, you know, a hundred percent all in, or it might not. I don't think you can do certain things like that and be half in, half out, but I totally agree. Like there are some things in your life that you do have to be more balanced in and like well-rounded, I would say, like hobbies and stuff like that. You can't just get, you know, oh, I'm not 100% great, like whatever, let's throw in the towel. Like, no, that's not effective at all. That's not really healthy for anybody. But um, picking, I would say picking like those few things that are really important to you and either kind of making the decision to go 100% in or out, that can be really important um, depending what your goals are in life. And then you have like subsets of that where it's like, it's okay if I'm not the best chess player. It's just a fun hobby. (laughs) How do you kind of decide what those things are going to be? Yeah, I think you kind of know deep down, right? Like I think before starting the nutrition business, like I knew I wanted to do something on my own. And, um, and I was like, all right, what gets me really fired up? Um, what are things? And that's definitely talking to people. I love talking to people and learning about their stories. Um, and obviously health and things like that. So I kind of knew right away something that like gets your, like you start sweating a little bit when you're talking about it. That's CrossFit for me. That's nutrition business, like starting my own business because I genuinely do want to help people. Um, and besides, like, those are probably my two main things, right? Besides being, like, a person of faith, like, those are my top three. Those are, like, my pillars. So those are the things that I want to be 100% in on. And then the other stuff, like, I'm not sweating over, you know, guitar and stuff, musical stuff, for instance, takes a back seat in my life now. It's fun to sing. I love to do that stuff. I love to play guitar. I don't care if I'm not that good. <laughs> it's just, like, a fun thing for me to do now. Um, so I think you kind of know, like, what makes you start sweating when you talk about it. It's like my... It's my rating system. Mm, that's a good Heard thing. Heard it here first. Yeah, and I mean, just a, anything, I think, that you have, like, a something pushing you. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of feel it. Yeah. You, you're like, I'm interested in this, don't really know why, but maybe let's explore that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, you know when you're called in, like, one direction. You can kind of tell, I think, when you're, you know, on the right path or kind of, you know, going off of it a bit. So I think when you kind of just follow that general instinct, you know, um, yeah, just like you said, you kind of know what's pushing you and what's like kind of propelling you to where you're ultimately meant, what you're meant to do or be. Yeah. When you, so when, when did you first decide to share your political views on (laughs) social media? Hmm, I think it was, I want to say it was like a little over a year ago. Um, because I was, I would just share it on my story. And I remember getting so nervous, like, oh my gosh, am I going to get unfollowed? And then I remember being like, why do I care? I don't even go on Instagram very often. And I don't know half of these people. It's not like I was at that point trying to grow a business or trying to really do anything in that capacity. So it's just for personal use. So why do I care? Um, 
So that's, and then people started responding like, thank you so much for sharing these opinions because a lot of conservatives specifically feel very outcasted on online because um, we tend to be shadow banned and we tend to, you know, just kind of want people to leave us alone, I would say more so and not be as vocal. So I was like, I don't want to be that passive person. Like I've never really been that in my life. So why don't I just like share my opinions? So I kind of just started doing it for fun. And then um, I got, I was just surprised by kind of the reactions I got of people being like, thanks so much. I was like, wow, that's actually kind of cool. So then I just, as I kind of grew, I was like, I want to learn more so I can share more. And that's kind of just how I got when I started, I would say. And then as I started going to events, um, and one of my friends is a pro-life speaker. So I got to go to an event with her for March for Life and stuff like that. I was like, I just kind of found my people who also aligned with me and supported me. And I was like, cool, there's other people who are doing this too. You just start to kind of fit in. You're like, this isn't weird anymore. This is perfectly okay to share your beliefs. Um, even if people unfollow you, you get, a, you actually start to attract the right people in your life anyways, when you start to post and kind of share what you really believe in anyways. Yeah. And I want to be clear for, for the listeners, like I, I want to have people on who are on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to just kind of, you know, get people on who I agree with or get all people on who I disagree with because I, I'm not that person. But I do think like anybody who has conviction is somebody that people are drawn to. So whatever your beliefs are, I think if you're if you're able to articulate them and people can see that you actually, you know, you you believe strongly about this one, but also two, you're doing your own research, you're informed, like your opinion is something that, you know, you didn't just come to because everybody else came to that. I think there's so much of that. I said on a previous podcast that I think you shouldn't be able to just share on social media without like giving your own opinion. So, you know, the next hot button, hot button issue comes out and people just share other people's opinions on yeah. their story. And you endorse people who are way smarter than you, who have done way more research than you. Mm -hmm. But do you really understand like what they're saying? Do you really understand how they came to this opinion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cause I, I mean, people totally reshare. I do too, for sure. Like daily wire stuff. Oh, they're an easy one. They're reputable. I'm sure they did their own research, right? You're like, I don't have to do my own then. It's great. And that's not a good way to approach it. Um, I totally, totally agree. Like, I think it was, yeah, it was Abraham Lincoln. He had this one quote. I'll but butcher it. So don't like fact check me. Um, but it was in a Dale Carnegie book and it was like other people who hated him or whatever, like everyone else will just be what their life experiences led them to believe or led them to, um, you know, think. And I just try to take that approach. He says it way more, um, adequate eloquently than I do but yeah like someone else who has very different opinions than me had a very different life experience than me and it's not that I think my opinions are any less true or false it's just their life experience is going to shape that for them just as mine did for myself so something to always keep in mind other people are fighting just as passionately for their beliefs even if it's totally opposite of you yeah and I mean we all have a lot more in common I think than we think like you, you think somebody who is on this other side of the political aisle with you, you kind of almost don't think that they're human. You oh know? yeah, for sure. You, it's like so easy to say, oh, this person's stupid. This person's an idiot. And I mean, you probably have those life experiences. You probably have a lot of similar life experiences to them. Mm -hmm. It's just like whatever led to you guys disagreeing, but it's like what 
finding things that we can agree on, like, like health, like wellness, all that stuff, mm-hmm. like that stuff that everybody can have in common. doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you believe in. Yeah, for sure. And there are definitely people who disagree with me on social media and stuff, but they still like, we might go to the gym together or whatever. And that's totally fine. Like, I just think we, we've gotten away from this ability to see people past like the things we don't like, like just, just like you said, and you kind of see them and you know that there's a vibe you get once you, you know, they might know you're conservative or liberal or whatever. Um, and it's just like, oh, they know like this is weird now. Why does it have to be weird? And I, people say this all the time, too. So it's nothing new. But like a few years ago, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, people could have conversations and actually debate about stuff and then still be friends. Now you don't really see that. It's like a it's so rare to even get in a debate or conversation like a healthy conversation and be able to agree to disagree um and I've had friends who I was friends with in college full-time and and I was like oh you know we have different opinions on this I'm gonna vote for Trump whatever and they're like I can't be friends with you and I was like I wouldn't have said the same to you and vice versa I'm sure people have done that on the other aisle too but it's like why not (laughs) you know and that I think does divide people and I don't know where that came from but that's just where we're at right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's, I mean, even 10, 20 years ago, like when I was in, when I was in college, I probably didn't even know, like I would never even ask somebody who they voted for. Mm -hmm. I didn't care. Yeah. Right. It was, yeah. Now people are definitely more ballsy. I'd say like definitely everyone's like, wait, you voted for this person, blah, blah, blah. What? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting, just the dynamic of human nature. And I think like the whole shutdowns and stuff made people way more irritable about it too. So that makes sense. But it was before that too, um, way before Trump as well. I would say like, well, I mean, Trump definitely was a kind of a catalyst in that, but there was something that was like brewing before that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So y- you were, when were you in college? Like- um, uh, is it around when Trump got elected? Yeah, it was 2016. Okay. I graduated high school. So Trump actually spoke at High Point, and I was actually jealous. Um, so, <laughs> so that was the election. And that I remember putting, like, people would always have political signs up at my first school, like on their dorm doors and all this stuff. So I put one up for, like, the GOP or something, and people would tear it down. And I remember being like, people are actually in my hallway, like, who I talk to every day. Um, so I kept printing them out and I kept putting them up and every day they got torn down and I was like nobody cares that like this but everyone else is are still up that are liberal and I just remember being like that's stupid that's annoying um and then I remember watching debates and I just remember people getting so infuriated and I was like are we gonna talk about this or no and um people would rather just again on both sides of the aisle like tear things down and just be like screw you behind closed doors than actually have a conversation about it so yeah so that's kind of when I was in college it was the election okay do you feel like you've developed thicker skin or you just always didn't really care what people thought of you for sure um I was definitely like I would say I'm relatively introverted and like everyone wants people to like them for sure. But this has definitely made myself have way thicker skin because I used to not be able to articulate things very well. And I remember even just like being in heated text debates about things that I agreed on that other people were like, no, blah, blah, blah. 
And I remember like my face would get red and I'd be like so irritated. Like I remember the feeling because and I and I just also remember being like, I don't want to feel like this when people bring up things that I disagree with. So that was another kind of catalyst in me wanting to learn more and learning how to articulate my thoughts and also learning to let go of them um, and not be and still be passionate, but not be so like, it's okay. You know, I can still have a conversation with you and see you as a person. So yeah, so that definitely led me to have thicker skin. Um, the more you share on social media, like people would bash me on TikTok. I remember I was gaining a lot of followers before I got totally shadow banned. It was sad. And people would bash me, be like, I hope this girl has to have an abortion, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh, I can't believe people actually say this stuff, you know? And you're like, yeah, there's, you know, pretty bad people in the world. Like, they're terrible. So you just kind of have to get it over it quickly. Yeah. And it's like, are those even real people who yeah. are saying Are it? they just bots? Maybe. Yeah, you just don't know. You literally don't. Yeah. What would you say to people who, you know, completely disagree with you? Like, how do you kind of go about having a conversation with somebody who's like, I mean, we're at this place where people will find out, okay, you're a conservative. Like I can't mm -hmm. be associated with you. Yeah. What would you say to, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I would honestly, I think there are a few things, um, that it comes down to like pillar wise in your value system. Like, okay, do you believe, you know, these core elements or whatever or truths? And if the answers are no, like for instance, like the right to life and stuff like that, that I'm passionate about, like if someone, because that's just tends to be wrought up a lot. Like people are like, how dare you tell me what to do with my body, whether you agree or disagree. But I'm like, if you, like we have, if we have differing belief systems in like very core elements and core values like that, we have to learn to walk away from the conversation from certain things because we will never see it eye to eye because our belief systems are so different. And I think like that's one of the big things with people who disagree with me is like, that's perfectly fine, but you have to be okay with knowing that my belief system I am just as passionate about as you are in the opposite of opinions because those are two very strong points that we are never going to see eye to eye on. Um, and you have to be okay to walk away from those conversations and just be like, we're not going to talk about that stuff because we're never going to agree to disagree. We're just going to have to walk away. Um, so I don't know if that was a positive answer, but <laughs> that's kind of certain issues like that. I just don't think you can really necessarily mend fences and you probably won't ever be best friends with that person who so has such an opposing view on certain things than you um and that's just the reality you're not going to be best friends with everybody and you don't have to be but yeah i would say like if you if you come to me and you have research and you are that strong in your opinion i can at least respect you for having that for having done that and be so strong based on your experiences and based on your research versus just being like i don't get it you're wrong. You're a bigot, whatever. You know what I mean? So there's an element of having respect and being like, we're not going to be best friends. We can walk away. And then there's an element of like, okay, did you, do you have any actual real opinions going back to what you said beyond just what someone on CNN or Fox news said, right? Yeah. I mean, opinions are messy. I posted this on my Instagram a couple weeks ago, maybe, but like your opinion's not meant to be shared in a tweet. Mm -hmm. Like, they're messy. It, it takes a long time to articulate something really well and like what your your logic and reasoning behind that is. And 
you need to have a conversation with somebody. You need to look somebody in the eye and be able to, you know, explain your values. And that doesn't fit in 140 characters. Mm -hmm. I don't know what maybe Twitter, the character limit is up now. Yeah, right. If you pay that eight bucks. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't on Twitter to begin with. But yeah, I saw that post on your thing, actually. And that's so true. Because again, you're not sitting down with the person. You don't actually know anything about them. You don't know how they talk. You're only reading it from a screen. And when you read it from a screen, you read that person who disagrees with you and like you make up a voice for them. Like you make, you make up a vision for them, um, what they're doing, what, how they act around other people. Um, so you're going to just kind of harden your heart against that for sure. And there's also things like, like faith is definitely a people tend to distance themselves from a lot nowadays, more so than like 20, 30 years ago, more people I would say were faithful people. And as a person of faith, is people don't understand religion and how important it is to people. So if they're like, you're just shoving the Bible in our throats, like, no, that's just like our beliefs. So I think that's also harder to relate to now than it used to be probably prior to like 20, 10, 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these are all things like, I mean, you need to have these conversations. Like, I think you really need to sit down with the person we just don't do that. Like it's so easy to go back and forth with somebody on DMS and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think it's true. Like you don't view that other person as a human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And walk away from the DM fights that you will never win in a DM fight or on Instagram. Just like stop commenting on people who post things that like, I just don't feel like that's productive at all. Like if I follow someone or I see stuff that's so contrary to like my belief system, Like, what am I going to accomplish by commenting? Honestly, nobody on that page is going to do anything but tear me up. You're not going to sway someone's opinion out of that because you're trying to prove them wrong. And then they're going to try to make you look stupid. And it's all out of spite from both sides. So it's just not even worth those conversations, in my opinion. Yeah. And I've never even like, I've never, I don't think I've ever commented on somebody's YouTube video, even if I like thought it was dumb and like, mm-hmm. okay, your vlog sucked. I would never take the time to just say that to somebody. Like I'll just right. stop watching their video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's kind of funny. Cause you like most people you think are like that, right? Like why am I taking time out of my day to con- like troll someone on Instagram or YouTube? But those people do exist. And it's kind of, like hopefully you surround yourself with positive enough enough people who don't do those things but I think it's also you don't realize how many other people surround themselves with just as many negative people um you're just probably lucky enough to not know them or have them in your life necessarily or know that they do that anyways so yeah those people do exist and it definitely opens your eyes to it (laughs) What do you do to take a break from all this stuff? Um, I delete all the apps. <laughs> I mean, I again, like faith is an important thing to me. So like every morning, my time in like the Bible and such sets me up for the day. So even if I, and I also do follow positive accounts now. Like I've often followed a lot of accounts that don't bring anything positive into my life or help my business or anything like that. So like surrounding yourself it sounds corny but surrounding yourself with the right people and like rooting yourself in the right truths that like even if everyone disagrees with you you can kind of still go to sleep happy um, and content in a way with peace that I think is the key to still just have real life relationships and also separate yourself from the phone I think some people think that their reality is the phone because they're just on it so much like walking outside it's like a luxury because you're like, wait, I'm not on my phone right now. This is weird. <laughs> We're just not used to it. Do you set like a screen time? 
Um, I do, but I always break it because I do have to post for like my business, all my stories and stuff. So then it just annoys me because <laughs> I do have goals. Like I want to go live every how many times a week on Facebook because it helps with engagement and it gets people up to my page and such. So then I'm like, all right, the screen time thing doesn't totally work because I do have to be on it for business. But I try to really limit like why am I on this to scroll right now or am I on this to post and create? And if I'm not posting or creating, I'm like, I try to just self audit myself and be like, nope, let's let's delete this right now. So you're not on it. Um, and I do this thing called parenting my phone. So I like try to wake up an hour before I look at my phone and try to go to bed and um, like put my phone asleep per se, an hour before I go to sleep. So it's like a child. <laughs> yeah, that's good. One thing, you know, I try to do, and I don't do this often, but, you know, just sit with yourself. Like, be able to sit on the couch and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, even, I mean, reading and journaling and meditating, all that stuff is good, but do you ever just sit there and, like, be okay? Mm -hmm. Like, you can yeah. just kind of sit with your own thoughts and I think that's a scary place to be for a lot of people mm -hmm. because, you know, you're constantly looking for that validation on Instagram or you're watching Netflix. Like you just always have these inputs coming at you nonstop. And it's like, hey, a hundred years ago, we didn't we didn't have the ability like we had to sit down and eat dinner with each other. Mm -hmm. Like we we couldn't, you know, listen to the radio. We couldn't watch TV. We couldn't watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. It's like. I mean, our brains don't even really know how to process it all. Yeah, for sure. And I always say, like, if I ever have kids, like, they're not going on social media or having a smartphone until they're, like, 20. Because it's just so rare. And kids now, I feel, like, the worst for. Because especially, like, I love helping, especially, like, younger girls. Because I try, try to think who I wish I had in my life at a younger point. And, like, you would have just avoided mistakes and things that you would have done younger, right? If you had a good mentor. And I'm like, these young girls are just bombarded with all these, like, nasty messages and just all these things on Instagram and stuff that just, like, makes me personally sad for them. But, yeah, they don't know peace outside of their phone like they're growing up knowing that validation from their phone versus we might have had a little bit time away from that like I kind of was on the cusp of social media where it was all the time but maybe still young enough where as a kid I wasn't on it a ton so I just don't think kids have that anymore yeah well I was probably I was in high school 2009 to 2012 so Facebook was popular but yeah. it wasn't I mean, you weren't on it every day, I yeah. feel like. It was like everyone's mom was on it. And you were yeah. just like, oh, thanks, Mrs. Smith. Like, nice to see ya. But you even had to, you had to go, and even not everybody had a computer at that point. So, like, you had to, I had to go upstairs, like, on, we had one computer in the house. So, like, if I wanted to go on Facebook, you know, it's like a whole process. And now it's, you know, one one thing yeah like your phone's always connected to you so it's you can always just scroll whenever you want to mm -hmm. yeah and like look at the most successful people in the world too like those aren't the ones posting on social media all the time like they have assistants who do that so they're like winning their day and their business and their life and having like a productive family life and stuff it's like they're not really on it they're just like their brand is on it so I always just try to think about like the successful people who I look up to and what habits they're doing like, they're not doing these things. So it's like, why would I be doing those <laughs> things if I want to be successful and whatever? Yeah. and it, But the the caveat to that is, like, 
for them to be successful what they had to do. Mm -hmm. So they probably did have to, you know, make a post every three Mm -hmm. hours for a while and be on the stories, be active and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. At some point they definitely did. I think like the biggest kind of leg up you can do if you're not like a slave to your phone, but you're still able to just like, again, like create and post and not mindlessly scroll and not make it like that slot machine um which people say that's like how the algorithm works like the more you scroll it's like you get that dopamine hit as you go and then it just keeps just an endless cycle it's like gambling do you listen to andrew huberman at all no i don't he's talks about a lot about the science of dopamine and Mm -hmm. stuff and like the dangers of you know being on social media and what it actually does to the brain Mm because i think i mean now there are people who are studying what it what it really does and like there used to be i don't know if it's like as prevalent anymore but people would talk about taking a dopamine fast and but you can't even do it Mm -hmm. because it's like dopamine is natural in your brain Mm -hmm. so i mean when you accomplish something in the gym you're gonna get some dopamine so it's really hard to like completely eliminate it yeah but if you can you know if you can limit that stuff if you Mm -hmm. can like you know spend a week off your off your phone off instagram Mm mm-hmm I don't know. It's a, all these things are like really easy to talk about, but right. it's like Hard it's, to do. we're all addicts. Mm-hmm. Like we're completely addicted to yeah. this stuff. It's not crazy to think about like the people you're seeing downtown or you're like walking by and you're like, they're addicted too. We're all literally just walking addicts right now. Yeah. It's thrilling. I mean, <laughs> even you know, like we're, we're all drug addicts. Like yeah. everybody drinks coffee. <laughs> yeah. And it's like sure. we, some addictions are cool like hey everybody needs their coffee and yeah. like we're we're completely okay with that but other addictions are mm-hmm. you know off limits mm-hmm. right yeah people get really offended too when you talk about it that's how you know it's an addiction because you're like I'm not on my phone and I that's always the thing I try to look at if I'm like having a conversation with someone or I'm like with someone for the first time are they checking their phone all the time or are they like attentive that's something I'm trying to I try to be very conscious of so that I'm not that person because it's frustrating <laughs> when you're with someone like that um so yeah do more in-person things and then maybe you'll be less addictive yeah. addicted <laughs> so let's talk about fitness a little bit because i know like you're you're passionate about getting better at crossfit and i think i talked about it with cody last week but like there's so many people with the quarterfinals and semifinals i feel like there's like this gold rush to everybody yeah. wants to get really good at crossfit so it's like a it's a great time to get into it, but it's also like a really competitive time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And my goal, like I made quarterfinals, um, this, like this past year and then the year prior. So now it's like, all right, there's such a big gap to semifinals. It goes from, you know, top, what, 10% to top, like zero point, whatever percent. It's like, what really gets you there? Is it strength stuff? Do you just have to like be content with the next few years are going to be all just a grind. Um, and you might not get anywhere past quarterfinals for a while. So it's like a mental, you know, test, but yeah, there's just so many things to get better at all the time, which everyone says, but it's so true because the standards are always changing too. Yeah. I mean, strength, I think everybody should, I mean, if you, I mean, Olympic weightlifting you have to be proficient at that to be good at CrossFit, mm-hmm. but to get proficient at it is really fucking hard. Yeah, for sure. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And I know Jordan uh, Wissinger, who yeah. I had on the podcast, is recently got back into CrossFit. Mm-hmm. He's and, killing it. Yeah. And it's funny how like how fast he's competitive at, but he spent 
what, five, six, seven years, just Olympic weightlifting, got Mm -hmm. really good at that. And then you can kind of pick up all the skills, but it's hard to develop everything at the same time. Like you're not going to be able to build the most amount of strength Mm -hmm. and then also have the best cardio. Yeah, for sure. And like, he's lucky too. And that, or not lucky, he put on a lot of hard work, but he had a gymnastics background too. So he's so good at the two wheelhouses, like high strength, high gymnastics. He needs the cardio stuff, which, you know, still takes a long time. I think people think, oh, cardio, it's so easy to get. It's definitely the, I would say, the easier one. But, like, then you need the motor and, like, the mental side of it, too. Um, Obviously, he's killing it. But, yeah, there's just so many little things, like, strength-wise, luckily. I I personally think if people just spent less time sweating, because I know so many people on the Mayhem programs, on the training think tank, all that stuff, everyone buys, and then they spend zero time on mobility and technique, If you take one of those 10 billion workouts you do a week out and just focus on like mobility stuff for Olympic weightlifting and shoulder mobility and hip mobility, ankles, um, you would probably be 10 times better in a year if you just did the small things that nobody wants to do. So how often are you doing those like yeah, mobility, just great dedicated mobility, Angelo. Um, so you, I try to be good about it. I try to do it at least like. My brother is really good at spending forever warming up. So I'm like, okay, I need to take at least 20 minutes a day, do like hip cars, do um, like mobility classes or something at least once a week, stuff like that. So I do take a pretty good amount of time in it. Obviously, that's like the first to go when life gets busy and it shouldn't be um, because there are days where I have AM work and then my normal lift and Metcon. So training might take three hours. And there are some days where I'm like, is it going to benefit me today to do like rowing intervals or is it going to benefit me more to really focus on shoulder, shoulder mobility um, to get ahead of that and any potential injuries? And so, and that's where I try to be like, okay, today I have to priori- prioritize the mobility and cut out the AM stuff because that's actually what's going to make tomorrow's workout more efficient and effective um, versus just sweating because I know I can always add that in. But when you're, you know, mobility takes way longer. Technique stuff takes way longer to get. So, yeah, that's kind of my, like, rating system. I try to do it day by day. Like, what's going to get me better today? Do you have a dedicated timeline, like, how much you want to put into CrossFit? Um, like, in terms of making semis or, like, in terms of making something or, like... Yeah, because, I mean, there's a there's kind of a limited shelf life on yeah, this thing. Like, for you're sure. not going to be... I mean... Y- you can, like there's yeah. master's divisions, but like yeah. the, the window to kind of make the games, it, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of training in a short amount of time, but it's not a forever thing. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, I mean, personally, I'm trying to be like the next Sam Briggs, so I want to peak at 40, but um, I would say like the next three years are definitely going to be like super pivotal. And that's kind of why I also started my business when I did, because I knew that like since CrossFit is a priority to me and I want to make semifinals and see like just because I am kind of a late bloomer when it comes to sports I have I only started really being competitive in sports senior year of high school so I try to think of like okay I might have you know into my early 30s or whatever but this right now is probably the best time to focus on CrossFit these next three years and have my own business where it's like I'm still living at home and I can still kind of prioritize a lot into my business and CrossFit and not have other distractions and things like that, which will probably never happen again in my life. Like just realistically, when are you going to be in a situation like that where you're not super distracted and running around? Um, so like three years is kind of my 
in my mind anyways, like the, these next three years are like the pivotal time in okay. my, in my mind. How do you feel like you keep the passion for something? So like, especially, y- y- you know, when you have a big goal, it's going to take a long time. Yeah. So like, how do you kind of go about the day to day where you're able to make it fun, but also know that you have this big goal eventually down the road? Yeah, that's a good question. I think just knowing that like, again, going back to, I'm kind of a hundred percent in hundred percent out type of person. Um, if I was kind of just coasting, it wouldn't be very fun to me. Like I could go on a run and I could do other things that are coasting more fun. I could do yoga, whatever. Um, but definitely environment matters. So there've been times where I had like, where I was doing classes and then I was really just kind of running on Wednesdays and then doing like some random wads that had no training and whatever. So definitely getting around the right people who have similar goals because I was previously around people I worked out with who were like, you want to make semifinals? Like only games athletes, only full-time athletes makes games or whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, they obviously hit CrossFit pretty early. So they kind of grew with the sport as it evolved. But like not everybody starts off as a professional athlete. Like I can, you can still be pretty decent. And there are some people who have full-time jobs and stuff and still do this. So that was like, first things first, get kind of, stop hanging around those people, stop, stop training with people who are only going to kind of put their limited mindset on you. Cause I'm always been a firm believer if someone else can do something, why couldn't you, mm. um, to some capacity. It's like just one thing, one of my acting coaches when I was really into theater stuff told me and it just really stuck with me. So, um, now I'm obviously around Cody and his wife and their games athletes. Like they went to the games. His wife is so amazing. Um, and just, kind of our training group and my brother too I will say helped a lot because he's the same way and he's really getting good now too so just being around positive people who are like have the same goals as you keeps you hungry um but obviously you have to be internally motivated as well and just kind of be like what type of person do I want to be what like is this action is this training session going to get me to that goal or not because then you kind of have to make a decision if you're in or out it's almost easy though when you have like a a long timeline because today is really not important right yeah and you're like "Ah, whatever today I can skip out on stuff and like I have to go home and just finish my workout a little bit like do some snatch bowls and stuff and it would be so easy for me to not do that because it's like it's just like two movements I don't really what's it gonna do um but I think like when you start to do that you do feel guilty about it and you kind of like let that build up you're like all right that adds up. It's just like for, I tell my nutrition clients, all right, you might be 200 under or over calories today, which is no big deal. But if you do that every single day, by the end of the week, you're 1500 calories under or over. So you're either going to be like too hungry or you're going to be that not in a calorie deficit anymore. So you're not going to reach your goals if your goal is to, you know, lose weight, lose fat, whatever. So it's just like similar concept applied there. You have to kind of be really consistent every single day and be like, what are you a disciplined person? Like, do we have to do the little tedious, boring stuff? Because if you, people want to do the ADHD CrossFit high intensity workouts, but then they don't want to stretch for 20 minutes. Um, if you can, if you can't do like the boring stuff, you probably aren't going to excel at the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always feel like I'm a little bit more when I'm dialed in on something, like when I have a goal, I haven't had a goal for a long time. So it's been difficult. Like when you said coasting, I was like, I'm kind of coasting right now in life a little bit. But like when I was really focused on weightlifting, I felt 
it was easier to do other things mm-hmm. well because I always had, you know, I'm disciplined on this thing. Like I'm not going to miss my four or five days a week of training. And then that kind of translates into the rest of your life. So when you get rid of that, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not training for anything. So I don't, my diet doesn't have to be as consistent or my sleep doesn't have to be as consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And there are definitely times like in my life recently and everybody's where like maybe you're like in a relationship with the wrong person or you're doing something and you find yourself coasting just like as an, as a byproduct and you, you're like, and then after that kind of fades away or whatever changes, you're like, why was I like that? Like, mm-hmm. That was not me. That's not like being, you know, the person you kind of evidently want to be or whatever. Um, and then when you kind of get back into the focus, you like, I always say like, you feel the fire back a little bit, which is kind of where I feel like I just recently got back into, um, after the past few months. So I was like, okay, this is cool. I have it back. Like that focus is there again. And I feel like obviously from a God perspective, I'm where I'm meant to be, but like I'm doing the things that are giving me the passion that don't make me just feel like the days are dragging. Like I don't have enough time in the day anymore to do what I want to do, which is cool, which I really like. Yeah, that's (laughs) exciting. What do you say to somebody who maybe is coasting or having trouble getting the fire back? Like how did you kind of go about that process of getting it? Yeah, that's a good question because for the like a few months ago, I was in that and I wasn't and I didn't really know what to do. I was like, something needs to change. I feel like a loser. I don't know like where what I'm doing right now um, and I just don't feel super productive or like like I'm making an impact, right? And that's like we're purpose-driven. Like people are purpose-driven. So I would say, A, I would say like go try something new and meet new people because I think when you do let like you meet new people, you're just bound to hear some perspective. Um, And I believe God lets that into your life very, you know, evidently. But um, I would say meet new people and find like something new to do to see what kind of sparks that passion, see what kind of people and communities like do that for you. Um, and just spend some time, going back to what you said, spend some time alone and just like with a notepad and a piece, you know, a piece of paper and a pen and just like write down things you're passionate about and things that like get you fired up. Because I think you do have to like, there's an element of passion and then there's an element of income and you do have to ma- like find a balance between the two eventually because um, you can't really have one without the other, depending what you want to do. Um, but I would say kind of figuring those things out and just having like alone time with yourself and then trying out new things so that you can kind of see what new perspectives or people or things are kind of like shed into your port into your life um, really has helped me because that's, you know, finding new community aspects for me and finding new outlets um, and just kind of writing down and spending time with myself is kind of how I have evolved the nutrition business the past few months. That's awesome. What's, um, We'll wrap it up, but uh, what's what's your approach like with clients? Are you working with more CrossFit athletes? Like, are you trying to work with elite people or are you just trying to work with kind of more general population? Yeah, that's a good question. So right now I'm working with a lot of general population, but people who do like CrossFit classes or like master athletes, um, people who might not want to go to the games, but they just want to do like local competitions and like feel better and perform better in classes and workouts and such. Um, but a niche that I'm really trying to kind of dive into deeper now is also just female athletes because I was thinking I was like this is fun and I genuinely love everyone I work with and I get a lot of purpose out of it but like dang who would I who's my ideal client if I could work with one person it would probably be like working with myself three years ago four years ago whatever um like as an athlete 
just how would I have helped myself? What do I wish I would have known then? Um, in terms of like eating for a female, eating for performance, like fats to carbs does play a role, a lot of in hormone health, stuff like that. Um, and that's probably my like ideal clientele, I would say female athletes because there's just so much that goes untouched and even when I post stuff about creatine it's all women who reach out to me and they're like is this safe to take I don't know what to do and I'm like no like men don't care about that stuff because they're talking about it all the time and females just don't have quite as much accessible information I would say um on the athlete side in my experience as a d1 athlete and uh just in training so that's probably my ideal clientele there yeah, a guy, if you say, take creatine and you'll get stronger, there's no questions yeah. asked. Like, like, sweet, say no yeah, more. Yeah, <laughs> we're not saying, is it safe? Yeah, it, has like it I used studied? to be like, oh my gosh, are my kidneys going to fail? What? And uh, my brother was like, what? I'm like, what? That's what I've heard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, no, everybody takes creatine. You literally, yeah. it's such a game changer. <laughs> Everyone a, take creatine. That's awesome. That's a that's a cool field to get into, and I think um, – it's like kind of a underutilized population Mm -hmm. just because there is so much with the hormones and everything that a lot of people just don't know enough about. Yeah. Myself included. It's, I mean, it's such a touchy subject because, you know, thinking like being the healthiest female and being competing at the highest level usually don't go hand in hand. So how can you, how can you help athletes do that? Right. For sure. And like people get, people hate to talk about this stuff and I honestly do too, but it's like females are like, if you're in fetal position for like two days out of the month, like that's not normal, but a lot of athletes deal with that and stuff like that. That's just not talked about. Um, it's like, here, just take more Advil. Like, no, you can actually not deal with that all the time and be, you can be able to train those extra two days that you may have had to sit out. Um, and stuff like that just, fires me up a little bit because there's just so little information about it mm-hmm. um but yeah it's really exciting i think i think there's like a big opportunity there just to help women and female athletes absolutely where can uh, people go if they want to work with you yeah they can go to ann underscore e underscore nav k-n-a-b-b um on instagram that's my handle or conservative crossfitter if you're into that <laughs> i love it well thank you so much for coming on this was really cool yeah thanks so much angelo